Rhino, we've got baseball news, the draft this week. We've got uh, a potential, you know, getting closer on a, on a potential solution between the two sides. Uh, uh, all that and uh, some big news about Pat Hughes joining the show and 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 what's this? Anthony Rizzo skinny? <laughs> well, I suppose the pandemic can take people one way or another, and it looks like he's been able to watch what he's eating, to say the least. I wish I could say the same thing. Not only that, Chad, we got Sean Kelly, our good buddy from college. He's made it. He's now a play-by-play announcer on ESPN Radio. He's going to talk some baseball with us. So it's going to be an exciting episode. You don't want to miss it because the Friendly Confine starts right now. First inning now, Chad, and the owners and the players continue to toggle back and forth to try and figure out what would be the best schedule for the 2020 baseball season. So the owners came out and gave a 76-game proposal to the players. The salaries would be prorated but would move into the postseason so the players could get paid. The players countered with an 89-game season. Um, the owners are not expected to approve this. Um, it just seems like it's just a lot of going nowhere really fast, Chad. And I have to be honest, I'm very confused by the number of games, the setup, everything that's going on. And quite frankly, as a fan, I don't really care. I think at the end of the day, I just want to see baseball regardless of everything that is being negotiated out in the public people at this point just want to see baseball and let's just make it happen at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I get it. I mean, there, there are many of our listeners have have, have taken financial hits some of them have lost their jobs. You know, uh, the economy um, is we're in a recession, you know, and, and people are thinking, you know, these, these greedy owners, greedy, greedy players, I, I get it because it is a negotiation and there's never been a labor deal in the history of mankind that is amicable and easy. There just isn't. And, and so there's an aspect of player safety and, and there's also an aspect where there's a lot of money at stake. And so that's being negotiated because, you know, let's imagine they agree to this and then all of a sudden the, the, the pin gets pulled on the season after 22 games. So the players want to say, if we're, we're going to make this effort, we want to make sure that we've, we've got some paycheck paycheck coming. And the owners are saying, well, you know, if the, 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 the season ends abruptly, you know, we want to make sure that we're not paying out something that where it's really going to be a colossal hit. So I, I get it. Um, as a fan, I just want to see baseball. I don't understand what form it's going to take. I was happy to see, uh, you know, the, the general manager of the Red Sox share very matter of factly that owners have agreed there will be at least a 50 game season this year. So they're confident baseball is going to get played. So I'm I'm feeling confident about that, too. The, but the sides have to get together because the implications financially this year are going to have implications on future years and earnings. And we have to take that into account because ultimately it is a business um, in terms of 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 its effect on us and when it ends. I've I've I keep reading that the goal is to have everything done, including the expanded playoffs done by Halloween because of the concern about the second wave. So that's all I know. At least 50 games, at least by Halloween. That's uh, that's more than I think anybody else would know. I feel like you're yeah. very uh, up to date on this because, like I said, I, I think the average fan really just wants to be able to, like you said before, just they want to see baseball in some form. Let's let's yeah. put the, you know, the the part the politics and, you know, aside to just get a deal done. So fans, because they're really the ones that are losing out when it when it's all said and done. So let us move on to the second inning now, Chad, and uh, certainly a sensitive topic. Um, Theo Epstein, of course, the uh, Cubs president uh, of the organization, recently came out and said that he wants to vow and be a better executive because he is questioning his own hiring practices in light of the social unrest following the death of George Floyd, May 25th in Minneapolis, that has certainly um, charged this entire nation and across the world for that matter. Um, Theo was said, quoting in a ESPN article that I've hired a black scouting director, a farm director in the past, but the majority of people that I've hired, if I'm being honest, 
have similar backgrounds as me and look a lot like me. And this is according to Theo in an interview that he gave earlier this week. I need to question my own assumptions, my own attitudes. I need to find a way to be better. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by the way that Theo Epstein has come out publicly when you, nobody, you know, necessarily maybe asked him a question specific to this. Um, but apl- I applaud him. And I think that is yeah. great that Theo is self-reflective and able to look at himself and recognize that, you know, this is something that I want to be better about and be a better um, executive and be a better person when it comes to hiring people of color. Um, what was your takeaway from this story? I was appreciative of, of what he said. I, I think, you know, there's a term called unconscious bias and, and our listeners may know what that is. They may not know what it is, but it's just, we all bring bias to the table. Everybody can say they don't see color or this or that, but, but everybody because of their upbringing and because of the, the people they surround themselves with because of um, just the life that they live to that point, they have unconscious bias, whether it's, it's, it's intentional or not. And what, what Theo basically gave voice to was to say, Hey, me too. Um, and, and he is going to vow and he's one of the most powerful executives in baseball. So for him, him to make that statement, um, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on, uh, um, you know, the family. I know, uh, Laura Ricketts has, has, has made some statements. Um, you know, the governor of, of Nebraska, uh, uh, he, he is also one of the owner of the Cubs and, and oh, technically he's, he's in there as well. And, uh, and he made some really uncomfortable statements. So I'm, I'm looking to forward to see what the, the Cubs ownership group is going to continue to do. Ultimately, Ryan, this is my take, um, and I'm going to have a lot of takes, and I'm going to be wrong, and I'm going to misstate some things from here from time to time. It's, it's tough to say the right thing um, because we're learning. I'll just say this. This is an incredibly complex situation. The solution is going to require some complexity as well, and it's going to take a lot of time. And so what I appreciate is there's the vow to, to bring that to the light of day because that's the only way we're going to see some real change in this world. All right. So let us move on to the third inning now. And another interesting story also in ESPN earlier this week, where Cubs owner Tom Ricketts was discussing the perception that baseball teams are cash cows. Um, He told ESPN that the yearly revenues for most teams are put right back into the franchises to spend on players. Um, Certainly there's, Lots of uh, fans, Chad, that I'm sure uh, talk uh, very much on Twitter and uh, use their thumbs (laughs) to uh, obviously voice their displeasure about said team um, not putting out the money to spend on players to get their club even better. But according to Tom Ricketts, um, the league itself does not make a lot of cash. And he thinks there's that perception out there that, we just hoard cash for ourselves and that we become, you know, rich and, and our line our pockets with money. And Tom Ricketts is saying that that is not the case, that we are putting our money back into the team uh, every cent of the way. Um, do you believe Tom Ricketts when he <laughs> says this sort of uh, detail about, spending the money that they make back into the team. I, I think you would be hard pressed to find <laughs> some fans that, that believe these comments uh, based upon what we've maybe seen from the Cubs the last couple of years, even though they have, they have spent money, but yeah. uh, you know, some fans would, I think tend to disagree with that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, the, the owners of the Cardinals um, actually said, this is uh, being a, a baseball owner is not a profitable business. And so uh, people just, you know, laughed online and I can, I can so appreciate that. And, and I, you know, it, we won't know because we don't get to see the books. We don't really understand. There's been some Forbes articles that share what, what, what the, the perceived take is, you know, what, what I understand about the business is this, um, you know, the Cubs put $750 million into Wrigley Field to make it viable for the future. They didn't get any state funding. You know, they put that money in there, and obviously they're going to reap the rewards of that money on the back end. What I've always understood about the recent change in baseball, and you've seen this in St. Louis with the village they built around there and with the Cubs, you know, really buying up and, bring, you know, putting in um, their stamp on, on the rooftops, Gallagher Way, all those different pieces, you know, 
the baseball business and then the real estate business and the, you know, the commercial business on, those are two very separate entities. So there is a small chance that Tom Ricketts is telling the truth when he says baseball, everything gets put back into baseball, but we're not going to like look at, at the Ricketts family and say, Oh, well they're you know, this is not a hugely profitable business. It's, it's there, those outside entities, they're making money hand over fist and that money is not going back into the business. And so it's a little disingenuous on my end and it's so tough right now with what's going on in the world. Um, the owners, player, everybody. But, you know, I, I would just say, you know, uh, Tom Ricketts needs to be careful with what he says, especially with what's going on in the world. So many people are suffering. So many people are worried about their rent check and mortgage payment, where it's coming from. To cry poor um, in the middle of a negotiation seems a little disingenuous. Yeah, that, that's a very fair point. Um, and uh, I think the, to your point that, you know, it's it's maybe not necessarily the best time to uh, – be pushing back on, on issues like that or, or allowing yourself to say, you know, the, these sort of things where other people are just struggling to kind of put food on the table, especially yeah. in these yeah. dire times. So let's move on to the fourth inning, Chad. And uh, as we talk about the potential for a 2020 baseball season and what that will look like, um, obviously there will most likely not be fans in the stands, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, if we are talking about 2021 um, or maybe when the playoffs start, if there is the potential for that to happen, where maybe there's a small select group of fans that are able to attend games, let's just say for, you know, argument's sake, they allow that. Um, how safe would you feel going to a baseball game? I have to be honest um, as somebody who really hasn't been, you know, going out in large public areas um, with my wife since the start of this pandemic, I don't know how I feel yeah. necessarily about going to a sporting event, let alone a baseball game. Um, even with social distancing, even if you're looking at a stadium with 40,000 fans or the capacity for 40,000 and you cut it down to 20 or 15,000 yeah. fans. I don't know if it's worth the risk for me to go to a baseball game just so I can go to a baseball game until I ultimately feel that the coronavirus is no longer going to be something that can be a, a major health issue in this country. So for me, I, I'm probably going to sit here and say I don't feel necessarily very safe at a baseball stadium. What say you on that? As somebody that goes to 25 to, to 45 Major League Baseball games a year, spring training, um, there's nothing in the world I want more to walk, you know, say hi to the ushers, walk into the stadium and walk down to my season ticket seats in Section 111 at Wrigley Field. There's nothing in the world I want more. I'm seeing videos this week of, of Vegas casino floors and, and it, it gives me pause. I, I've not rushed to get on airplanes, um, you know, during this entire time, I've been more cautious and people ultimately are going to make the decisions they're going to make. That's the decision I'm making right now, because again, um, we are in the midst of this. We've taken a lot of steps and we still have the numbers that we have of 110, 120,000 deaths of the time of this recording. I, what gives me pause, Ryan, more than anything, is that, that, that what I shared with you today, epidemiologists, um, hundreds of epidemiologists were, were, um, were surveyed on the things that they're more or less comfortable doing. And, you know, things like eating at a buffet, shaking hands, hugging, you know, potluck dinners, things like that. And the, the thing that was most concerning and troubling almost to a man and woman epidemiologist is they said they expect one to two years and yes, two years before they, these epidemiologists who study viruses and germs and all the things we're dealing with, with COVID one to two years before they can see where they would feel safe going to a sporting event or a concert. And so that gives me pause, gives me concern and it's we're going to see if NFL really tries to come out and tries to have packed stadiums. We're going to see. I think baseball is going to do what the Korean Baseball League is doing, which is go fanless and then maybe see what they could do. Maybe raffle off sections or sell certain sections where just certain groups can be there for, you know, uh, but but I just I can't. I don't know when I'm going to be there. And from a safety perspective, 
I'm still going to look to the experts and not look to some of the junk that's out there online from the, you know, the armchair experts. Look to the scientists, right? Isn't that what they always say? Look to the scientists. Some people say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the fifth inning now, Chad. And, of course, we have the Major League Baseball draft going on this week. And yeah. certainly um, with no sports, it maybe takes on some extra meaning. Um, this year, the draft is going to just be five rounds. And it is uh, ultimately going to be a very interesting draft because of the fact that there is no minor league baseball. Um, You have less players getting drafted this year. And ultimately, it is going to bring a lot of free agents, I guess, that you're going to look at to say, well, what is going to happen to those players that normally get drafted when you're talking about, you know, having... 30 40 rounds of baseball that they normally have um what is going to happen to those players and how much is that going to change the dynamic of of players that in the past had an opportunity to play minor league baseball um and may not and it may change or alter the course of their professional baseball career it's it's a very scary situation especially for someone who has been waiting their entire life. And now to go just five rounds, um, there's going to be a lot of players that are looking for homes once the draft is over. And I'm curious how Major League Baseball is going to um, look to see to, to get some of these guys with their minor league clubs. Uh, it's it's going to be a very, very interesting uh, setup the way they are going to have it from, from all angles. Yeah, and, and it's it's... Yeah, I'm going to do my best Paul Harvey impersonation for if you don't know who that is. You're, you're not, uh, well, you're just younger than I am. Um, but but if, if a two-time World Series MVP was a senior this year, he would have never played baseball. And I'm going to, I'm going to share what I, what, I, what I mean by that in just a second. I mean, this is a year where anybody with a growth spurt or development enhancement did not play high school baseball is not playing club ball right now. Is not playing travel ball. Um, anybody who may have figured out his fastball um, on the college circuit is not going to get, you know, didn't get a look it, it, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't get a chance. This is a lost year of development. Now you couple that with the fact that minor league baseball is not going to happen this year. And with the fact baseball's used this opportunity to contract minor league baseball, meaning less opportunities for, for players to come in and a shortened draft. So I'm going to go back to my original comment about a two-time world series MVP. Well, most of you know this story as Cubs fans, but if you don't, I mean, Ben Zobris was going to go into the ministry and his high school baseball coaches, the story goes, convinced him to go to a regional look, a regional tryout, uh, 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 you know, where, where, where scouts and, and, and other, you know, evaluators were. And he got a look, obviously, and he decided to put his ministry on hold. And as they say, now, you know, the rest of the story he goes on to become a World Series MVP and a, and a heck of a career. Um, and uh, somebody that will always be a legend uh, with the Cubs because of his heroics in that that uh, that 10th inning. And so there are players that we'll never know of because of COVID because they'll never get a look. They'll never get a chance. They miss their opportunity. It's such an incredible year. It's going to have impact on talent. And I think there's going to be a bit of a talent drain where we may or may not notice because baseball has skewed younger in the last few years. Baseball is not going to get younger um, until all of this is worked out and the development leagues and baseball all the way from the youth up um, is, is back on track. So it's, it's, it's a lost year, a lost season. It could be more. Sixth inning now. And uh, we're going to get into this a little more later in the show. And of course, next week, but Sammy Sosa was on ESPN 1000 in Chicago earlier this week with a friend of the show's David Kaplan. And Cap talked to him about an assortment of uh, topics um, ranging from how upset Sammy was if that the Cubs did not uh, ask him to come back and he hasn't been invited to Wrigley to, um, you know, did he at this point want to finally, you know, admit to taking steroids or what his thought process was about people that still believe that he did cheat. Um, you know, a wide ranging interview that I thought David did an excellent job as he always does. Um, and it always begs the question because 
Sammy Sosa played such a significant role for this franchise um, in the better part of the 90s and and 2000s. Um, And yet he is a footnote now that the Ricketts family has taken over this franchise and has not been recognized at all because of things that have happened. Um, So let's start with this, Chad. Um, Do you believe that Sammy Sosa should be invited back to Wrigley Field? And on top of that, have the number 21 hanging from the Wrigley Field pole as a retired number amongst the others that have been retired too. 100% and bring, you know, let me know what you think, Twitter. Let me know what you think, Facebook. I know I'm going to get disagreements on that, but 100% yes on both of the questions. You know, people that were upset that Sammy walked out on the team on the last year and the boom box, boom box got destroyed. That's a lot of loyalty to a lot of guys that you don't remember other than Kerry Wood and a couple other guys in the, the locker room. But Sammy was the guy that electrified some really bad teams. He was the guy that filled Wrigley Field when there wasn't a lot to watch. And let's keep in mind, Kerry Wood has gone on record saying he is okay with Sammy coming back. Um, he's over the fact that Sammy walked out on the team on the last day which Sammy's always claimed was excused. You know, there's video, all that stuff. Who cares, guys? I mean, honestly, this is the person that put on the most uh, electrifying, the most incredible offensive run that this team this team will ever see. And it happened smack dab during the middle of the steroid era. And we don't know who was clean, who wasn't clean. We just know who wasn't definitely clean. And so I'm going to let you have the last word on this, Andy, Ryan. And I'm going to ask you this question. With the documentary coming this weekend – you know, the, the, the profile on Sammy and Big Mac, that, that magical summer of, uh, of 1998, what could Sammy say or do? Because it could happen, but what would he need to say or do you in your eyes so that that olive branch could be extended and he potentially could start getting back in the good graces of the Ricketts, the fan base, and have that homecoming that I truly believe he deserves at Wrigley Field? Well, I think that the Cubs, which I, I don't necessarily – agree that they need to but i think they're looking for like an apology of some sort that that's at least what the cubs are looking for for me i'm on board with what you're saying i 100 percent agree with everything you just said but the cubs i feel like are looking for him to make an apology mm-hmm. based on the fact that they want him to almost come clean about the fact that he did steroids they want him to apologize probably about the corked bat. They want him to apologize about leaving the clubhouse early. They, I think, feel that Sammy led a career that was not truthful, and they want him to fess up to the things that they think he is guilty of. What I do find a little hypocritical in all of this, Chad, and I'm sure you can agree with this, is why does Mark McGuire get a pass and the Cardinals are you know, inviting him back? Why is Barry Bonds get a pass and the Giants invite him back? You know, I feel like Sammy was the one who he had never tested positive for steroids. And do I ultimately believe he was on something? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I do. But so was everybody else. And not only that, Sammy Sosa was beloved by this city for so long when he was with Chicago to the point where people were saying for a long time that, he might be the greatest Cub of all time. I mean, you can make that argument, right? N- numbers with, you know, steroids or not, you can make that argument that Sammy Sosa could be the greatest Chicago Cub of all time, yet he is considered, you know, basically someone that is, is you know, just somebody that's that's thrown by the wayside because of, of past experiences of, of what occurred in a time that was acceptable during that time. So so for me, I think his number should be retired. I think that the Cubs should bring him back. And I think it's been long enough. Let bygones be bygones. You know, he hasn't played for the team in, in over 10 years, I want to say. It, it's about time to bring Sammy back. The fans would love it. I think it would be good for the organization to make peace with him. And, and you know, to move forward, from the era that it was. And and again, what's even better, I think, in the sense that the Cubs have won a World Series since then. There shouldn't be bad blood for anything that has happened because of the fact that the curse is over. Let's just move on, have a clean slate, and, and be able to, uh, you know, 
bring Sammy back into the fold. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the friendly confines. You know, Chad and I always are excited when we can bring in people that we went to school with or people that went to Southern Illinois University. And we are so excited because when you get to see someone who you've known since college and you see the fruits of their labor, working hard, getting to where they are today, our next guest fits that description. You can hear him on ESPN radio where he does college football, college basketball, the NBA, the NFL and major league baseball. And formally, the voice and play-by-play announcer for the New Orleans Pelicans. It is our pleasure to welcome Sean Kelly to the Friendly Confines. Sean, welcome. It is so good to talk to you. It's been a long time, but it's always great to have our fellow Salukis on the Friendly Confines. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's taken me over 20 years to try and maybe catch up to you and Chad. I mean, that's <laughs> what I've been pursuing. <laughs> well, you know, Chad was the star. I, I feel like I'm just happy you remembered me more than anything else. You know, Chad Chad had high expectations to live up to. But nonetheless, we're, we're so excited and happy that you're joining us and, and really proud of your accomplishments to see what you have been able to do. So, so we really appreciate you taking the time. And of course, we mentioned all the credentials that you have right now working for ESPN and broadcasting for, you know, so many major uh, sports at this point, but the focus here right now is on baseball. And of course, since we don't have any baseball, what have you been able to do in the time or the NBA for that matter, since we don't have any sports going on right now, how are you keeping sharp, I guess, throughout this entire process? That's a really good question. Um, I don't think I've been real sharp at all, although I've gotten really good at like, you know, building a new path in the backyard or, uh, you know, repairing the dishwasher thanks to YouTube or the other <laughs> honeydews that I have during a normal off season. And I and I and Eagle and I were just talking about this literally last week and that a lot of folks have been asking us, you know, so what have you been doing? How, you know, are you going crazy and all that? And Yes, to some extent, because there's no sports to watch, just like everybody else. But for me, my normal offseason kind of just came early. Now, here now, as we speak, I've reached the end of what would have been the offseason. And so I'm eager to get back to work. Uh, unfortunately, the NBA probably won't get going again until late July. Um, and then Major League Baseball just just might screw this whole thing up and we may not have any. So I don't know what lies ahead for that. Um, and then it'll be football season, and I, and I have no answers on that either. So uh, I've been okay, but now I'm going to enter that phase where I'm really antsy, and it's been long enough. Yeah, I, I'm certain I can imagine that. That's got to be tough for, for people like yourself who are in broadcasting and sports and are just waiting for something to happen at this point. And I should mention, you can find Sean on Twitter, at Sean Kelly Live. He's a great follow on there, so be sure to check him out on, on that front too. Um, so let's talk a little baseball right now, Sean. And, you know, for whatever it's worth and how closely you've been following um, the negotiations between the owners and the players, it seems like the newest proposal that just came out is a 76-game season and the salaries would be prorated and also continue based on the teams that make the playoffs. Um, just from the, you know, the parts that maybe you're familiar with, what do you think of the latest proposal from the owners? Do you think that's something that would be a, a doable situation for um, what would be left of a major league baseball season? Should it be played? It's closing the gap. Um, and, and I guess that's, that's a good thing. The problem is there's no trust whatsoever between the owners and the players and, and major league baseball has um, in my eyes, the strongest uh, labor union in all of professional sports. The Players Association is is long entrenched, uh, is always seemingly unified, has done smart things over the years. But at the same time, the, this what we're seeing right now is the product of um, an eroding trust now for quite some time. And so there's not any trust there. And so there's no trust on the player's side that they're seeing all the financials they need to see. Uh, the owners are, are sitting here trying to explain to the players or, or, or having a hard time trusting that the players have the best interest of the game in mind with regard to 
hey, look, we're all going to lose something here. This is not normal, <laughs> right down to the fact that there won't be a guy, uh, you know, asking folks to buy beer in the stands. So all those things play into it. And where they were last week was a, a sizable number. If you're going to look at, you know, what what's to be gained and what would be lost um, with the different scenarios. So seemingly it would make sense to you and me and probably most fans that this should be worked out and everybody else seems to be able to do it. But for whatever reason, baseball doesn't have this down. And uh, there's going to be problems here, uh, not only with the, the, the number, the financial number, but also this idea of when the regular season would stop. So, you know, the, the players are saying, let's play all the way to the end of October and then do the postseason in November. The owners are saying, well, I'm not so sure I want to get so entrenched into the football season and or weather or anything else. So we want to ha- we want to get this done before the end of September. And then both sides look at each other with a little bit of a, a wink saying, okay, are we talking about logistics or are we talking about number of games because that's where the money situation lies? So that's a very long-winded answer to your question. Um, I don't trust the situation at the moment. I hope that they get it together. And I, I, would, I would be ecstatic if it could happen before the end of the week, get some kind of a framework in place. And perhaps, you know, even though the July 4th thing seems kind of now out the door, Maybe mid-July, but realistically, if we're going to see any baseball, it might be, guys, August. Wow, that's unbelievable. We're talking with Sean Kelly, who's our guest, the announcer on ESPN Radio. Of course, you can listen to him once sports returns uh, in Major League Baseball and, of course, college football, college basketball, the NFL. Um, And more importantly, he is a proud graduate of Southern Illinois University, where Chad and I both also went to school and we all went to college together as we chat here with Sean, giving us uh, a few minutes of his time. So, Sean, you mentioned that, you know, I mean, right now there's there's very little trust. And, and you even said yourself that, you know, there's there's doubts that this may not even come together. If if you had to to maybe just, you know, spitball it here, do you feel confident like we're going to be able to eventually have a season or do you think in your heart of hearts that we may not have baseball this year? Where do you stand? If I'm being honest, it's a 50-50 shot right now. And and I didn't think I'd, I'd be saying that. I, I thought all along that baseball would be the one that could take advantage of the situation and um, and feed a thirst right now, or quench a thirst rather, you know, that sports fans have. I mean, look, NASCAR had a race a couple of weeks ago in front of no one. Uh, a television only race basically and they drew about 6.8 million followers or what of viewers ryan they haven't had that kind of a number in over 10 years for nascar so can you imagine if baseball could have gotten their act together um to to open perhaps july 1 um at the you know at the earliest i guess with health concerns albeit what they are they would have basically a full month all to themselves and yes it would not be in front of fans but it would really serve the sports you know, world and, and I think the culture of our country very well and could boost them and catapult some really good feelings into what could be another sticky labor situation in just over a year's time. But instead, they're going to be the ones kind of last of the table here, last of the party, and not able to take advantage of that. It's my favorite sport. <laughs> um and at the same time, it's 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 infuriating because this has been baseball's problem for for a long time, dating back to even, you know, when you talk about when we were in school and all that, you know, the damage that was done in 94. I mean, baseball has been its own worst enemy at times. Um, and it's interesting this weekend, you know, especially for Cubs and Cardinals fans like yourself and myself watching the documentary that ESPN is going to do this coming weekend, you know, long gone summer and what 98 meant to baseball and all of us as fans at that time, obviously it was tainted, but what that summer meant. And I'm not so sure if baseball screws this up now, if they're going to be able to recover like they did with what was such a crazy year in 98. Well, that's interesting. You say that. And I, I'm, I'm curious what you think. I mean, you kind of alluded to it in the sense that there are some people of a generation for that matter, Sean, that, have never seen baseball on strike. They grew up and maybe they're, you know, a fan of a, of a team in baseball um, just based on when they grew up in the two thousands or, you know, in their, in their teens now. Um, How detrimental is it you maybe to these 
uh, millennials so much less than it would be to people like you and me who have been through those strike seasons, who have been through 94 and, and maybe some older people like 81. Um, do you think it would have a, a more of a lasting effect on people um, maybe of our generation more so than people of a, a younger generation, if that makes sense at all? Well, I think that's a really that's a really great question. And it's and it's kind of complicated, actually. <laughs> As I was listening to how you were phrasing it, I, I thought I had a good answer at the start, and I don't know if I have a great answer for you to the question in that I thought that if they could become kind of the first TV sport back, or radio for that matter, because I don't want to slight what I do more of, <laughs> um, <laughs> that maybe a younger generation, maybe the, the millennials um, or, or even my son's age, you know, just getting into his 20s at this point that it may recapture something with, with that group. Because if they get swallowed up here by the return of the NBA or the NHL or even football getting cranked up, uh, it's going to be a crowded space. And, and I do think that, that guys and, and gals like you and me, Ryan, who are lifelong baseball fans who come from baseball-rich markets, there is going to be a forgiveness factor. There's always some kind of romantic tie to the sport. And we'll be frustrated and, and we'll kick rocks, you know, outside and, you know, and moan and curse and everything else. But at the end of the day, we'll want baseball. We'll want to have those logos and those colors and those players playing the game and the smell and the sound and the feel of a ballpark. Um, but and if they screw this up and see that the, the funny thing about baseball is this too. We, we talked about labor peace. Well, labor peace has been here because the money's been so good. The money's been so good in the sport now for so long. And part of the problem is when the money's good on the player's side, they kind of they can overlook some things because guys are getting taken care of. And on the owner's side, when the money's good, um, there's no need to really share or give concessions. But yet when things go south, like now, or if television ratings and revenue drop, then then everybody should share in the problem. Well, that doesn't necessarily work very well. So – that's where it stands on that. Other than that, just from a Cubs standpoint, don't we want to see what the Cubs will look like under Ross and, and, and what that lineup's going to be like this year after, after what happened at the end of last year? I mean, that's, that's what I hope we'll get to be talking about at some point here. Yeah, without a doubt. And Sean Kelly is our guest. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Kelly Live. So let's finish with this. You, you mentioned it earlier. You're a diehard Cardinals fan. Uh, Chad and I, as you know, we're diehard Cubs fans. Um, do you have a favorite Cubs Cardinals memory that uh, maybe sticks out to you um, as you, as a lifelong baseball fan? And I, I know you've gotten to do games at Bush stadium. I, I would love to know what that experience or even at Wrigley for that matter, if you had the opportunity, what those experiences were like for you. Well, the last major league baseball game I called was at Wrigley field last September Cardinals and Cubs. Um, it was not the first time that I'd done Cubs Cardinals for ESPN radio, but it was the first time I'd ever done it at Wrigley field. And I'm embarrassed to say, Ryan, it was also the first time that I'd ever physically been inside of Wrigley field. Um, wow. And, and for me as a baseball guy, that's embarrassing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so it was great. I mean, the chill of September, uh, the pennant race, unfortunately for the Cubs, that series against St. Louis, um, St. Louis played well and pretty much, ended the Cubs hopes uh, they were slim to start with but um, but to do a night game at Wrigley to start uh, that weekend was was really really fantastic because to sit in that little cramped up booth at Wrigley Field and, and be a part of a ballpark physically that's been there for what over a hundred years so you know everything still has a great look to it but yet there's this modern touch to it at this point and the knowledge of the fans and, and the feel of everything and, and to have a game with so much meaning, uh, that was pretty special. I mean, most of my – now, granted, the Cards are, are, are probably going to – their fans would say that we've had the Cubs number for, for far too long or whatever. But it's funny, most of my Cards-Cubs memories are actually probably beneficial to the Cubs. So, you know, whether it's the, the Ryan Sandberg game or um, – the ability for the Cubs to finally get over the over the top and, and finish things off with a world championship. Those things and those matchups with the Cardinals, actually, I probably more vividly remember at this point than, say, the flip side of things. And I think that probably sounds strange, but but 
I always tell folks you haven't really um, taken in a rivalry until you can get a good Cards Cub weekend under your belt. And I know Yankees Red Sox drives all these ratings, and it's a great rivalry and all that. But and even Giants Dodgers is pretty awesome too. But man, if you're from the Midwest, there's nothing that beats that rivalry. I couldn't have said it any better. Sean Kelly, our guest, he is of course play-by-play announcer on ESPN Radio, college basketball, college football, the NFL, the NBA, and, of course, Major League Baseball. He went to college at Southern Illinois University with Chad and myself. Sean, hey, so, so thank you very much for coming on with us. Great to hear your voice. Great to talk to you. You know you're welcome anytime. We would love to have you back on with us. Continue to have all the great success you've earned and achieved. We really appreciate your time here on the Friendly Confines. Thanks well, so Ryan much, and Chad, too, have been a lot that you guys asked, and uh, it means a lot, and this one was very special. And I'll come back anytime. We'll do it. You, awesome. Thanks, Sean. And our thanks to Sean Kelly, who was kind enough to join us here on the program. It was so great to catch up with him. And, you know, as somebody who uh, obviously – Went to college with him, and Chad and I got to see him kind of grow into what he has now become uh, really something. So we're really proud of Sean, and, uh, of course, we would love to uh, have him back anytime. And uh, yeah. be sure to follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean Kelly Live. Uh, he's a great follow on there. And, you know, my, my indelible Sean Kelly memory, because um, I've, I've been I was able to, to work with him on a weekly basis. He'd have the uh, the um, the the Saluki insider and he would do deep dives into the main sports. You just knew then like he was bringing more to the table than just the play by play more than to the table at that stage of his career than just um, just the, the facts and the figures. He you know, he came back with some really great nuts and bolts. And and it's always great when you just, you know. You know, we're still doing this. We're having a fun time doing this, but that guy's crushing it, and it's really fun. We've got a few friends left that are really out there crushing it. So Sean is uh, um, is incredible, and we're so glad that he he blessed us with his uh, his time on the show. So uh, along with Sean, if you want to show, uh, follow Ryan on Twitter, he is Ryan D Lieber on Twitter. You can follow me at uh, Cubs Confines, um, and uh, be sure to join if you haven't already. The um, the recent shout out by pat hughes ryan we haven't even talked yeah. about that but pat hughes even name dropped it on a on a, on a, a video that uh, that uh, that i posted on that page um the uh, chicago cubs friendly confines um uh podcast headquarters and so make sure you join that page it's fantastic and it's also not a lot of garbage uh it's 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 cub pro pro cubs friend, friendly and when the season's going it's a lot of fun so make sure you join us there uh and so you know let's let's dive back in um to um the upcoming documentary um that is highlighting that epic home run battle that uh enthralled the nation some people said it actually saved baseball after the strike sort and season a few years earlier um that summer of 1998 and uh, and, you know, this is this is a guy, Sammy, that played for the Cubs, I believe, 12 years last appeared um, for the, the, the Cubs. I believe you, you were close to a decade. I think it's, it's 16 years ago. The last time he was with the team, you know, so without getting into what we got into in the previous inning, when you think of Sammy, what is one or two? What are what are your memories of of him that stand out? You know, it's funny. I had the opportunity, Chad, to cover two opening days at Wrigley Field when I worked in TV. I was working in the Quad Cities, and I got the opportunity to cover the Cubs. I want to say it was in uh, 2000 and 2001. Those were the two opening days I got to cover. Mm. And I still remember when I got to interview Sammy before the game, and everybody, of course, was you know surrounding him, and there were tons of microphones. And I was, you know, this little reporter from, you know, the CBS affiliate in Rock Island, Illinois. (laughs) And I'll never forget, this is true story. Sammy saw me and he kind of like, almost like allowed, like not pushed, but just kind of used his hand to allow the reporter to maybe move over a little bit. So he could give me more room. That's awesome. So I could interview him. That's awesome. And I was like, that is fantastic. So Sammy Sosa was really a very kind individual that I remember um, when I got to interview him in, in that small part of, uh, you know, 
opening day. The other memory I have, uh, this is a true story. I was sitting in the right field bleachers at a game in around 2001. And Sammy, um, as you remember, he would always, after he was done playing catch in between innings before the inning would start, he would then chuck the ball into the right field bleachers. And somehow, some way, Chad, the ball was up in the air. I reached my hand up into the air and it just grabbed a hold of my hand (laughs) and I came down with it and I caught the ball and I was a few rows up in the bleachers. So it's not like I was in the first row, but, and I remember people were like all over me and I came down with the ball and caught it. And to this day, I still have that ball. Uh, I've never caught a foul ball, but that is the one ball that I've gotten and Sammy threw it to me, um, and I still have it today as a keepsake uh, in my house. So those those are my two. I know they're not like on stuff for Sammy, but those are my two personal stories that I have of Sammy Sosa. Um, so what about yourself? What what do you I, remember from uh, his days as a Cub? I love that. I, I you know it just made me think about you and me being in in, in the outfield during batting practice before Game yeah. Seven of the of the Cubs World Series in Cleveland, and we, we didn't we didn't catch any. They were coming in like missiles, but uh, but I as you remember, I, I got the foul ball off of Chris Bryant's bat in San Diego. But we're not talking about that. It's so neat to me that story, um, and for people that that talk down to professional sports you're still thinking about something about a foul ball just a a a two-second moment in time you still think about that and you cherish that so that to me is what makes baseball so really special and i appreciate it for me you know sam it's a couple things for me for sammy you know it's that indelible image of of the aughts um right after september 11th when baseball returned where sammy you know, ran out there with the American flag, hit the home run and, and, and got the flag from the first base coach and rounded the bases. You know, Sammy was this cartoonish, larger than life figure and and in a good way. Like he just was he just didn't seem real. And I just appreciated that, um, that he was on our team and it just he just seemed mythical. My one memory um, and you didn't know this before we talked about this on the pre-show is is I've been really lucky to see some cool Cubs moments. And I because of the, the 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 generosity of Dan Callahan, the incredible legendary um, late um, coach of the uh, SIU Salukis, uh, he had a yearly fundraiser and myself and my my photographer, Russ Ward, um, won at this fish fry the grand prize, which was four box seats to a Cubs Cardinal game to be named Amazing. later. And 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 you know what? Uh, that, that was in 1998. And we didn't know as the season went on when the game would be. And then Dan called me and said, um, hey, I think it's going to be Labor Day. Can you make it? And the cool thing about it is that was the summer I moved from the Paducah NBC station to the Jacksonville, Florida NBC station. So I had to get the time off. I was the newbie. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to see this. So I actually got to see McGuire's 61st and then stuck around for the 62nd on, on the next day. Um, and, but, but I just remember batting practice. And then Sammy and, and Mark, it happened all summer. But I got to see it. They, it just what they were putting on shows. It was better than any home run derby you've ever seen on ESPN, and it was magical. And I'll always remember it. And that's yet another reason why I think, you know, let's move forward. Stop being hypocritical about mistakes of the past, um, and and let the 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 voices and the faces and the um, the people that have made baseball what it is in every era um, back in. Yep, a hundred percent. So let us move on to the ninth inning now. And Chad, I'm going to pull an audible on you here. I uh, I know we were going to talk about one thing, but because you alluded to it earlier, I think this is probably something better we need to discuss. <laughs> Chad, it was your birthday recently. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to give away your age, um, but you are older now. And uh, as a gift to you, uh, your friends were able to get Pat Hughes. Uh, to give you a video uh, birthday greeting, which I we all know if uh, you're a proud listener of this program, Chad is a huge fan of Pat Hughes, as well as anybody who's a Cub fan should be. And Pat gave a personal shout out to you on your birthday. It was a great message. It's on your Facebook page. If you haven't had a chance to take a look at it and uh, you uh, follow Chad or you're on the uh, Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines headquarters page, you can see it there. Um, and Pat also agreed at some point to be a guest on our podcast. Yes. So, uh, I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on getting that cameo video 
of Pat Hughes wishing you a happy birthday. I have to think that's something you're going to save in your phone forever. And uh, just what that must have been like for you when you saw that message pop up on your phone. That had to be very exciting. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Pat Hughes. Um, So I'm a bit of a fanboy right here and I, and it's okay. I'm just going to own up to it. I, the, 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 I was in the game, but I, I actually was at the game rather when the Cubs clinched the NLDS against the Cardinals in 2015. But that, that audio of Pat Hughes just saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it, you know, I, I truly wish you all could be here for this very moment right before they clinch. And, and it's that heart and that enthusiasm and, and his joking around with, with, with the late run and then in, in our current run, um, you know, if, if it's a national broadcast, and I'm not at the game, I'm listening to Pat Hughes while watching the national broadcast. If it's a local broadcast, I typically like listening to Pat Hughes. I just like his descriptions of the game. I like his storytelling. And you asked me that question. When I received that video, and my good, huge Cubs um, Cubs fan, Greg Rosinski, one of my one of my great, great best friends from my grad school days, um, also shares my season tickets in Mesa. I have season tickets at Wrigley in Mesa. He shares those with me. And then Brad and Brad Schoen, another one of my um, uh, graduate school classmates, and his wife, Nora. Um, we had a social distancing cocktail the Wednesday before Cinco de Juno, June 5th, my birthday. And they, they, were, they, they, were, they were acting all weird. And all of a sudden, I got a text and like, watch that. And I watched it and, and played it in front of them. And Ryan, what did I felt? I mean, I just, my face hurt from just smiling. It was like a three minute video. And he, he name dropped my dog and, and he said he joined the podcast. So I, we're going to have that for you guys soon. Um, and then he, and then he provided this really fun answer machine message. If I wanted to do it, it was a thrill. He's a class act. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping he's the voice of the Cubs for a very long time. No, he really did. He did a, such a great job. And like you said, I don't, you know, in the limited amount of, um, you know, interactions I've seen with people who do cameo videos, sometimes you can see the celebrities are, you know, it's like 20 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds. And that's it. Happy birthday to some person who I don't even know. But man, did Pat make it feel like he yes. knew you. Yeah. You said it. He went on for three minutes. Yeah. I mean, that was tremendous. Like just such a great great guy and uh man i'm excited for us to have him on our podcast it, it's really gonna be great yeah. and and with that chad happy birthday thanks buddy uh, thank you around the sun so very cool um with that that is gonna do it for this edition of the friendly confines for chad i am ryan we appreciate it as always stay safe everybody and we'll talk to you soon on our next episode everyone be, be safe and we will see you at the ballpark one day very soon don't let anyone say that it's just a game for i've seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in chicago you're blessed and you're healed the first time you walk into rigor